This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Hey there, hope you're well and you're keeping sane no matter where you are on this glorious globe of ours. If you're experiencing a pandemic-induced lockdown, such as my friends in New South Wales and Victoria and Australia, yeah, what can I say? hope we get out of them sooner rather than later. But right now, I've got something that should soothe the soul. It's a conversation with Alex Grossi from Quiet Right and Hookers and Blow. It's that latter band that acts as the catalyst for this chat due to the release of the self-titled album featuring covers from Bowie, Elton John, The Stones, and many, many more. And there is a notable inclusion that I talk all about in the conversation, so why don't we cut to it? Here he is, Alex Grossi from Hookers and Blow. Hello, mate. Hey, how's it going, man? Very good, very good. What's what's the day held up to this point for you? Uh, so far, not much. I went and I uh, just took my morning walk, and it's about a hundred degrees out here already in Vegas. So I'm Las staying Vegas. inside today. Yeah. yeah, Las Vegas. I remember. Yeah, I've only <laughs> been there once, but the. Uh, there's a few places in the US where the weather reminds me of parts of Australia, and that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Bit I, I, I can't wait to get back down there to Australia. We were supposed to go before the pandemic, and it fell apart, obviously, but we're looking to go next year. Oh, cool. Okay. Is that right? Is that yeah. with Dizzy you're talking about? Or we do with Hoopers and Blow, yeah. Yeah. Hoopers and Blow. Yeah. I, I've got to say, Alex, I'm enjoying this project, actually. It's, you know, it gets sent so much stuff, and... I don't know how many releases I get sent a week, but it'd be near near to 50. And uh, you can't listen to everything, obviously, but when yeah. names like, uh, you know, yours and Dizzy appear on things, you tend to give things a chance. And uh, I'm, right. I'm so glad I did that because uh, I, I've had it on, I think I got sent, I think Mark might have sent it to me about two or three weeks back. And okay. uh, I've been listening to it in the car. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I love it. And I've said this a lot on my podcast, but I love it when music finds a place in my life where it sort of integrates. Right. And I just go, what am I going to listen to now? And it's, I've just, I've honestly just had this on repeat now for quite some time. So you guys have done a cracker job. Awesome. Thank you very much. You know, um, but uh, the inspiration behind recording an album of covers like this and, and some left of center covers, I've got to say as well, instead of going for black dog, you've gone for some other cooler stuff. Can you, can you tell me what the inspiration behind doing this with Dizzy was all about? Well, I mean, we've been doing this thing for like 18 years now and it's gone from just shitty bar band, you know, playing for beer all the way Mm. to where it is now. And, you know, when, uh, when I spoke to Mark, when I initially met him, he, he asked about doing a record with the band. And I, we never thought about it. And we'd recorded well, like, you know, we recorded a little bit, but it kind of all came together once we, you know, we got, you know, officially got an offer to do a record. And uh, we knew we could, we had, we had full creative control, which is very nice. As opposed to these labels that have certain expectations about, they want their opinion on the mix and the choice of songs and all that. We were just let off the leash, which is good. Because if you tell us how to do something, we're going to do the opposite. That's just in our nature. So, mm. um, yeah, that was the, that was sort of the catalyst of the whole thing. We just knowing we had full control over over everything, and we we could take our time and do it right. You know. Mm. Yeah, well, it, it has been done right. Yeah, and, and 
I've already hinted at what my next question might be, but so I'm a, I'm a huge body count fan, I've got to say. And uh, when I saw that you'd covered the winner losers and you'd done a great job, by the way, you, you'd reinterpreted it in your own way. So why body count? Uh, we were just talking about that record in the van one night after after a gig. I think we were in Texas. And me, the only two people in the, in the band that I'd ever heard it before, myself and Nadja, Dizzy's wife. And we were singing it in, in the van. And Dizzy goes, is that a song? And go, yeah. And then we, we brought it up on the um, on our phone and, and played it for me. He goes, and I go, we got to cover that. He goes, yeah, we do. You know, just, nice. it's just, it's such an honest song. And it's such a, we, it's such an odd choice. I mean, we actually, my buddy plays bass in Body Count in the current version. Oh, okay. We actually yeah. been with them for like 15 years. And I said, texted him the, the link to it and sent it to Ice-T. And there, he was, he loved it, you know, so. We we got the stamp of approval from the man himself, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But you, you've also done some others. You got to you got the Bowie cover here, which um, a bit different to the one that Bauhaus did, the Ziggy Stardust song there. But yeah, yeah. When you when you're thinking about playing the guitarist in Bowie is Mark Ronson, is that his name? Mark Ronson. Mick, Mick, no, Mick Ronson. Mick Ronson. There you go. Yeah. Mark Ronson is the guy who did Uptown Funk. Indeed, yes, you're spot on. I played both. I played. I'm a muso too, so I've had to play both, and I think I get them confused. But uh, the um, hey, when you're playing guitar and you're listening to a guitar line like that that almost everybody on the planet's heard, but then you, you do it justice the way that you have by adding your own flavour. Is it is that the product of you just playing that song for decades on end, or was it more spontaneous than that? Um, you know what? A, a lot of the, you know, because I never got the chance to do overdubs in that song. So a lot of the ear candy guitar and stuff you hear in it was on the kind of, you know, on the spot in the mm. studio that night because when we play it live, I'm the only guitar player. So I've never heard that but done by us with more than one guitar part. So once I laid down all the, you know, the rhythm tracks for it, I got to go back in and do the solos and stuff that aren't in, on the original recording, but kind of give mm. it its own little touch, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. As I say, it's a lot of a lot of what I uh, call salt and pepper. That's your own seasoning, yeah, exactly, your own seasoning yeah. across it all. Because to be honest, I can't stand it when I hear stuff being played straight when people do covers. Because well, it's yeah, just the, like, the whole point is to leave put your mark on it a little bit, you know. Mm. Well, how did you pick the songs though? Because you probably can play hundreds of covers. So when you- oh, you know, <laughs> we 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 made a list of about twenty songs and whittled it down to what you hear on the record. It came together mm. very quickly, you know. Mm. And we wanted it to just throw it all over the map. You know, we have Eddie Money, then we have Body Count. You know, it's like what? Who would do that? You know. <laughs> I I got to say, I think the Body Count cover makes the album. Or it makes, yeah, I makes think the so album. too. It's one yeah. of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. It, it for it to come together so quickly though, it sounds extremely cohesive. So where did you record it? Um, the, the rhythm guitars, the drums, and bass were all done out here in Vegas. Um, and some of the bass was done in LA. I mean, but the the the, the, the rhythm tracks, main rhythm tracks were done in Vegas. And then we, um, Dizzy and I, you know, well, that was in 2019. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were about halfway through the record. And, you know, all the drums were done in two days. We had all the, you know, the skeleton tracks to work with. And then we, we all used our home studios to add stuff to it afterwards. Uh-huh. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially these days. Yeah, um, a mate of mine. I hope this is correct, but a mate of mine tells me that uh, you started well before you picked up the guitar. You used to play the piano on the French horn. Is that correct? 
That is correct. Yes. Yeah. What um, is that? Just something you did when you were at school? Because I know when I was a little, when I was like when I was like in fifth grade, you know, sixth grade. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. I, I, cool. I got. I got. I got. By the time I hit like eighth or ninth grade, I think I was full blown into guitar at that point. Okay. Yeah. Is it just the usual thing you heard the Stones or um, Z no, or something? Well, in my case, it was Poison. I'm a little bit younger. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm so yeah. you. So, yeah, I get you. Yeah, same here. So poison. <laughs> that's funny. They're both our gateway bands. Molly Crew or Guns N' Roses, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Look, poison. You know, I think they went through that period where people couldn't give a damn for for a long time. But look, they were a gateway band for so many of us, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were. They were it was very accessible. And you're. I mean, I don't know how old, how old you are, but I'm 44. And when I was a kid, that was you know you had you had access to what was on MTV. You couldn't really go discover new music too easily. You're limited to what's available at the local cat Kmart or Walmart or yeah. whatever, or what's on MTV or on the radio. And that's at that time was whittled down to like 20 songs a day. You know? Yeah. I'm the same. I'm 43. So same okay. age anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I thought we, we caught the tail end of it before Nirvana blew everything up. Of course. Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> you remember those years? I mean, you want one of the few people I to speak to that can relate, but we, we were yeah, liking exactly, the rock. Yeah. It, it, it was an interesting time to grow up because I mean, you're, you got the eighties metal thing and then all of a sudden it shifts over to grunge in the nineties. But I think it's a good thing because it kind of got back to more about songwriting in the nineties which is, mm-hmm. you know, substance. So if you can, you know, it's, I'm all about blending all my influences together. And I definitely got that in the nineties. You know, I was already into the eighties metal stuff and then that stuff kind of broadened my horizons a little bit. So I think it was a cool time to grow up. You know, it definitely was, it was a musical melting pot. Um, and yes. uh, there was a lot of stuff going. I think it was a great time to grow up as a musician. Yes. Because of what was happening there. I mean, these days, I mean, kids are playing light speed deathcore by the age of 11 on YouTube. But it's it's not it's not well rounded. It doesn't have a lot of groove. A lot of this stuff that I'm hearing these kids come up with right. these days, you know. And uh, yeah, I wonder. I do wonder if that if we were, it's because of our the environment we grew up in, as opposed to the environment they growing up in, which is well, Spotify. Yeah, when you yeah, when you started learning how to play guitar at my age, and, and you know when I was a kid, you had to learn how to play the song off the tape and hit rewind. There was no internet to Google the guitar tab or find mm. online YouTube lesson of how to play it. You had to use your ear and your brain. Yeah. And now it's kind of been kind of been over overlooked because technology makes you know. I mean, obviously, I mean, if I was if they had YouTube when I was a kid, I would have been YouTube and guitar lessons too. But they didn't. Mm. But I think I think it turns out a more well-rounded, more more experienced player with more knowledge of the instrument because you're forced to work a little more. You know. Mm. Do you do you pick a guitar that has a certain sound for a song? Or I know you're a Paul Reed Smith guy, but um, I can see there's a Thunderbird there behind you and a, yeah. a bunch of. Oh, that's a that's a Thunderbird there. mandolin, actually. <laughs> All right, it's a mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I use I use almost the same guitar for the whole record. You know, just one guitar. Mm. You know, and, and then a bunch of plugins and all all recorded virtually. You know. Yeah, these days it is all about plugins because you can do it. And it actually, yeah. I couldn't. I mean, it, it sounds like if I mean, if, bunch it'll of sound like real, it'll sound like real amps on there for sure. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, you can't tell these days. It's it's uh, technology's caught up. There's no doubt about that yeah. with our ears. You know. So yeah. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a right hand turn, and somebody who I think is uh, unfairly overlooked is Johnny Lane. But can you tell me about your, your relationship with him? Obviously, with, I'm with Johnny Lane from Warrant. 
I know he's long gone. Oh, Janie, Janie Lynn. Janie, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no problem. Um, I played with Janie for a couple for for a few years actually. I met him in two thousand three, um, and we worked together. You know, uh, off and on. You know, I did a few of his solo shows. I did. You know, not I never recorded anything with him, but we did write some stuff together. Never still a lot of light of day. Um, uh, he was a great guy. You know, he just he had his demons for sure. Mm. And uh, but he you know, he was. I mean, he, I, he could he could be a bottle of Jim Beam in and still pick up an acoustic guitar and, and sit on the couch and just write a killer song and not even remember the next day. He had, he had that gift. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 It's very sad what happened to him. I've got to say, and, yeah. and I think he, uh, in preparation for our chat, I was just listening to some warrant again last night. I thought, wow, there's, there's a bunch of people out there that don't know how good that band was. And hey, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and they had, I mean, great catalog of songs, you know, mm. And you're you're a bit of a go-to because quite right, you've been in the band now for some time. Um, yeah, it's almost yeah, eighteen years. Yep. Yeah, eighteen years. Yeah, I mean, you're God. What does that make you? Good, you know, your mid twenties or thereabouts when when you came on board. But I, I met I met Kevin Dubrow when I was like twenty six. Yeah. What was it? What was it about you and your playing and your approach that you think that they that appealed to them? Uh, I think just I think it was. I, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, any anybody. Those songs aren't super, you know super difficult to play. It's just more about be you know being able to, to handle the to the gig and the touring and and, and understanding the industry because a lot of guys can play in their bedroom on YouTube, but you get them out on the road and they crack or they freeze up in front of an audience. So yeah, because I had the you know the experience from the band I was even previously because I've been I've been doing this since I was you know right out of high school I was touring professionally, so. I think they liked the fact that I was young, but I still had some some experience, you know, because most guy kids my age at that point didn't really, you know, they didn't have that in their back pocket or in their, on their resume or, you know, that built up that experience of touring. And I, you know, there's a lot more to it than just playing the songs. Yeah. Of course. You got to build a handle each, you know, handle yourself, you know, with traveling and, you know, it's crazy. It's a crazy business, you know? What was Kevin like as a bloke, you know, away from the stage and the cameras? And oh, stuff he was, like? he treated, he treated, he was a really, really, I mean, I didn't know him in the eighties. I'm glad I met him when I did, when he kind of mellowed out, I think. Um, but he treated me great. I mean, he's, he's really very generous guy, very, very sensitive, very, very intelligent and very, very overlooked as a vocalist. I think, you know, I mean, mm. the guy could do 10 in a row with no, he never warmed up. He, he never really did the things that singers do to, take care of their voices he just did his thing i mean he'd get out of get out of his bunk put on his stage clothes and clear his throat and go up on stage in front of five thousand people and belt it out mm. so yeah he's a great he was i miss him we miss him a lot obviously you know but yeah i think yeah. i think uh i think he'd be happy to see how things are going today for sure is there anybody out there like a Vito Brada or somebody like that that you? I know Vito's long, long left the stage, but uh, when you, you pretty much proved you can play with anybody, so who do you want to play with? Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I can play with anybody, but if I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, if Eddie Money was playing, I'd love to play with Eddie Money. I'm the one, I'm the one who picked the Eddie Money cover for the record. That he, yes. that he he's one of my favorites, but no, nah, I'm just, I'm I don't really have I have never really thought about it. 
What about, um, have you ever been thought about doing, you might have done it, so I don't have a complete resume from you, but Cirque du Soleil or Trans-Siberian Orchestra or one of those no, touring no, things? No, I actually, I've never, I've never done any of those things. I've always been working with a rock band, you know? Mm. You know, I've never, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been asked about it, but it's like I'm not, you have to kind of commit to being in one place for a long time, which I can never do. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, yeah. T- tell me about your collaboration there with uh, with Public Enemy, Flavor Flav. Oh, yeah, that heck, that came about very organically too. Flavor Flav and I go bowling once in a while uh, out <laughs> here in Vegas, like the little casino. We, we live like, you know, a few miles away from each other. And I will, I'll meet him for late night bowling. I tried to do it in a couple of years ago. And then, you know, when he turned 60, he had me put together a band for his 60th birthday party. And we br- br- played Bring the Noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was, it was just one, like one of those nights, you know? And then about a year later, he called me. He's like, I'm in the studio. I want you to come down. And I said, all right. And I got in, got in an Uber, went down to the studio we both work at. And he was recording tracks on a new public enemy record. And I, I played some guitars and did some little background vocals and completely forgot about it till like last August, I got an email from universal with a release form saying, you got to mm. sign this. You're on the record. I'm like, what? Oh Yeah. I for, totally forgot. We, I even, you know, decided. I didn't think they were actually going to use the track. But yeah, I, yep. Science yeah, field and official. Yeah. So I, I know the the track you're on features George Clinton and Cypress Hill, but you weren't in the studio, obviously, at the same time when they were. No, no, it was all done virtually because it was in the middle of the pandemic. You know. Yeah, course, and that was yeah. like during. It was done during super lockdown too. So, right, I mean, yeah. the studio we went into they it, it was they weren't fully open either. It was definitely virtually. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Do you think you'll work with Stephen Stephen Adler again? Um, I don't see. I mean, if it, if the opportunity presented itself, I mean, he's got a killer band right now. Mm. Um, and actually. At, Alistair, who produced our record, is Steve, the guitar player in Steven's band. I got him, got him the gig in that. Oh, okay, sweet. So it's all one big, one big family for real. You know, it is like that in the rock community in the states, isn't it? Yeah. Once you've proven yourself, you've pretty much. The, the well, yeah, there, there's like there's like a, a, a there's like a handful of guys that are go to guys for guitar, bass, drums, and, and you know, once you get in that circle, you're you know, I mean, I mean, look at how many guys have been in a lot of these different bands, you know. They kind of all swap places around. I mean, I'm very, I've never wanted to be one of those mercenary guys that goes from gig to gig to gig. I like being in one band. That's why I've stuck with Quiet Riot all the time. But I don't want to be in the rat one week and then a version of LA Guns the next week. I want to be in okay, okay. one band and that defines me, you know? Yeah, the rat the rat thing's turning into a bit of a circus. So, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know the ins and the outs of that. I just know that, you know, it, it, it's as you get older, you realize. I mean, we just did a show with them last month, and it was it was it was Kicks, Quiet Riot, and Rat headlined. And you know, Quiet Riot. This is obviously without Frankie. You basically, you know, it, it's it's about the it's about the brand. You know, I mean, I mean, the people. The people in the audience, they don't want to know, they don't, they don't keep up with who's in, who's out, who's mad at who, who's suing who. They just want to hear the songs and just hear yeah. the songs done well, you know? Yeah, that's so true. That's the fans that's don't should be the main of yeah. She's keeping it about the music, you know? You got to keep it about the music. Yeah, yeah. Fans, fans are good at doing that, it turns out. I think as long yep. as, as long as it's the officially endorsed version of the band, like remember when that. Oh, uh, well, yeah, the legal, the legal version, because it all comes down to the trademark and who can use it and who can't and all that, you know? 
Yeah, I remember when Bobby came out with that other version of Rat, and there was two versions of Rat there for a period. There was <laughs> yes, yes, there was two Rats. Yeah, there there was. And then that sparked a big lawsuit. Obviously, I don't know who, how. I don't know how the chips fell in that whole thing, but I know that I, I know they they were fighting in court, and then I don't know. I can't keep. I don't know. I can't keep score. No, it's it's like that. It's a bit of a soap opera, but I guess the fans even like that aspect of it because it keeps the bands in the in the spotlight, even even that way. Well, it's you like know. the WWF, you know, and they, they're <laughs> leading up to a pay per view event. You know, indeed it is. Yeah, indeed it is, mate. Well. That's it from me. Th- thanks for making the music that you have, especially this recent one. Uh, I'm enjoying. I really appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's why we. That's why we did it. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great album. I'll, look, I'll always do what I can uh, with Mark to to get some of these killer releases out there. But this is probably the best one from him that I've heard so far. So, um, oh, well, let, tell him that. <laughs> tell him that. <laughs> yeah, he probably. He'll no, probably he's, he's, to he's it, really but... he's really excited. He's really he's really happy with it too. Yeah, yeah. No, he's picking some good stuff these days, but you guys are at the top of the pile so far as far as I'm concerned. So congratulations on that front, and I definitely hope to see you guys down here in the very near future post this bloody pandemic. I, we, we're we're in the pipeline, so stick around, and I'd love to catch up with you when in person when we get down there. Have a beer, mate, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All right, cool, well, thanks man. very much, mate. Have a good one. No worries. Catch it. Take it easy. You too. Yes, another conversation with an extremely talented musician. That one was a chat with Alex Grossi from Quiet Riot, Hawkers and Blow. He's done some work with, I call him Johnny Lane. There you go, Janie Lane. Yeah, Janie Lane from Warrant. Dearly missed. What an outstanding vocalist. And I've got to say, Warrant are probably one of my favourite bands that emerged throughout the 80s. If you haven't checked Warren out and you think that they're some sort of stupid hairband, they're not. They're actually a great rock and roll band, so do check them out. But uh, Hawkers and Blow as well, I meant what I said. Uh, I love some of the work that Mark and Golden Robot Global Entertainment Group are putting together, and Hawkers and Blow is a fantastic example of Golden Robot's commitment to rolled gold rock and roll. If you like that conversation, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. Please like, subscribe, share, all of that sort of stuff because it does help spread the gospel of rock, metal, punk, alternative, all of that stuff that involves guitars, basses, drums, and a vocalist. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, have a great one.